Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, and welcome to the Addicts Anonymous podcast. I'm your host, Jamar. Today is episode 104, and we're going to be interviewing Brian H. How are you doing this morning, Brian? I'm doing great, Jim. It's good to hear. We were just chatting a little bit. I'm happy to uh, have you on today. So uh, like I told you, let's dive in and talk about your childhood. How was it uh, growing up? Uh, <clears throat> growing up for me, I think, is a, is a pretty it's a pretty boring story. Um, I think <clears throat> relative to most people who suffered with addiction anyway, um, I, I had a pretty vanilla childhood. I grew up in Pennsylvania, in central Pennsylvania, near Harrisburg. Um <clears throat> There was no, <clears throat> there wasn't uh, addiction in my family. There, my, my parents drank, um, but uh, I, I really don't remember my mother drinking much at all. My dad would drink, his brothers would come over, they'd sit out on the patio and have some beers. Um, nothing, nothing at all out of the ordinary. There, there wasn't, uh, there wasn't abuse of any kind in my childhood. There wasn't trauma. Um, I was a, I liked school. I was a good student. Uh, I got into sports. I, I played uh, basketball, baseball, golf. Eventually, um, pretty much, pretty much anything um, that I, you know, that involved a, a ball or whatever uh, kind of sporting equipment. I was, I was happy to get into. Um, you know, we, we took our, you know, financially, we were just kind of a middle class family. We took our trips to summer and vacations to the Jersey shore every year. I don't remember ever, you know, hurting for money, but, but at the same time, we didn't have luxurious things or anything. It was just a very kind of standard white picket fence, normal childhood. <laughs> really where are not- you, where are you located right now? Uh, I'm in Boise, Idaho. Okay. Cause I'm about uh, 30 minutes from the Jersey shore, 40 minutes. Okay. Yeah. We yeah, went- I, I live in New Jersey. We went to Ocean City pretty much every summer in my childhood. Stayed at a little place called the the Hope Guest House in uh, Hope Ocean Guest City. House. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like you said, I mean, I was actually talking with someone because now we just told. I just said it's episode one hundred four, so I've done over a hundred interviews, and you're on on the the rare side of the spectrum. It's very rare for us addicts to say, "Oh yeah, childhood was good. Mom and dad had a." job and they did this they did that we went on vacation very yeah. rare yeah absolutely i i had a <clears throat> i had an experience uh, an interesting i think experience and so i've been to rehab i've been to residential treatment multiple times and and i had one experience where we were in a group session and the the person leading the session asked us to think about when when was the when was the first time that you knew you were different as a kid um and people started sharing things and you know a lot of a lot of serious vulnerability about well I knew I was different because you know my my mom was always drunk and I had to run the household and I know that other kids didn't have you know didn't have households that were like that and someone else would talk about you know their experience of physical or or verbal or even sexual abuse and I'm sitting there going, God, the, the reason that I knew I was different was because like I was smarter than the other kids, like I, I <laughs> for them. And like, like, and I remember sitting there going, I can't say that. Like these people are sharing all these really difficult experiences. And my experience of being different was like exactly the opposite. It was a positive experience, but I actually chose to say it. And it was, and it, and it was really sort of liberating because someone else said, wow, I was sitting there thinking the same thing. Like, I don't, I didn't have that difficult childhood. You know, I had a similar experience where the, the way that I knew I was different was that I, I kind of, things were easier for me. So, um, yeah. You have brothers and sisters? I have an older sister, six years older. Me too. My sister's six. Or wait, she just told me I was wrong. I think she's seven years old. <laughs> I've been I've been saying my whole life she's six years older than me. She's like, no, I'm seven. So she's seven years older than me. 
Yeah, my uh, my sister's birthday is actually the day after my birthday, so I, I like to say that I was her I was her sixth birthday present. There you go. I don't think she appreciated that though. No, wasn't a good present to her. Yelling and screaming. <laughs> right. So when was the first time you were ever like exposed to, I guess, I want to say alcohol and drugs. I know you said your mom and dad drank growing up. Did they ever get drunk? You know, I, I can't remember a time where I thought one of them was drunk. Um, I honestly can't even, I, I'm sure that my mom drank, but I can't, I can't picture it actually as a kid. I can picture it as an adult. Uh, and, and my dad, you know, like I said, the, what I picture of him drinking is Friday night and one or both of his brothers would come over and they'd, they'd sit out on the patio and, and drink beer in the evening. Um, but I don't, I don't remember a time where I ever thought, oh, wow, he's, <laughs> he's had too many beers. He's, he's someone different now. He's acting differently. Um, that, that wasn't an experience I had at all in, in my childhood. What was your social life like? Um, my social life, um, I mean, it, it was, we lived in a, in a small town. Uh, a lot of my social life would have been like, going to get on my bike and ride over to my buddy's house and we'll, we'll play some basketball or we'll ride bikes together. Or we'll go to the pool or that kind of thing. I think a lot of my social life definitely revolved around sports. You know, I played little league baseball was, was a huge thing. And then, you know, I played, played little league from like, I don't know, from age eight on up through, you know, played high school baseball and everything. So that, and I got into very into basketball as well. So a lot of it, a lot of my social life definitely revolved around sports. You know, friends would come over and play football in the backyard or we'd go shoot hoops or whatever, that, that sort of thing. I, I didn't, I didn't have a social life at all as a, as a kid that, that involved alcohol. Um, I didn't drink until, well, I think I had a beer or two when I was like a junior or senior in high school, but I didn't really drink, like get drunk until after graduation. College was really where I I figured out that figured out how to drink. <laughs> so when, I, when was the first time you ever took anything? Was it like did you smoke pot younger, or did you just everything happen in college? Uh, I think the the first time I could say for sure I had a beer. My uh, my <clears throat> one of my really good friends and I drove to uh, Philadelphia to go to a U two concert with my sister, and uh, and we had a beer or two before the concert. Um, and I don't, I remember doing it, but I don't remember it being, I don't remember thinking, Oh, I like this or it's cool. Or I want to do more of this. It was just kind of like, Oh, everybody's in the park, not drinking. And my sister's going to let me have a beer. So I'm going to have a beer or two or whatever it was. Uh, That was the first experience. The first time I really got drunk was, uh, beach week. You know, after graduation, we went, I guess, to actually to Ocean City, Maryland. And, uh, you know, that that's like that's the goal. That's the purpose of Beach Week after you graduate from high school is to go get drunk for several days. And and I certainly did that. And it was uh, it was a total mix of very good and very bad experience. You know, I I enjoyed the the experience and the feeling of getting drunk, but I also got super, super sick and and threw up like crazy and and felt horrible, but, you know, went and did it all again the next day too, because that's what you were supposed to do. So you, um, what was college like? You went to college? I went to college. I went to Virginia Tech. Um, And I, I think... I 100% expected to drink at college. Um, that was kind of, I think that was the script or the narrative that I heard in my family was that that uh, people go to college and at college they drink. You know, my dad was, my dad went to Penn State and was in a fraternity and my sister went to Penn State as well. And, you know, I certainly heard about drinking escapades through both of them and probably through other people in, in my family. And, you know, I think that's just the, that's the stereotypical college experience is you go off and you, you get a little wild and you party and that's, that's part of it. So yeah, right away um, when I got to college, I think like the, even before classes started, like we were there for orientation week or whatever. Um, yeah. My, 
couple buddies on the on the dorm hall were like, yeah, we've got some friends with an apartment. They're having a party tonight. Let's go. Yeah, absolutely. So sort of similar to that uh, that beach week experience. I remember going drinking beer and playing playing drinking games. And I remember really like loving the feeling like, wow, this is, this is a great feeling. I feel like I'm a, I'm a, I've always been a somewhat introverted person, but you know, I think the drinking, I felt like, oh, wow, I can be a little more open the whole, you know, lowers inhibitions. Right. And I remember thinking, oh, wow, like there's, there's college girls here. And I think some of them might even be interested in me. Like, that's really cool. (laughs) So you, you read the big book. Uh, I have read it. I have read it. Yeah. You remember the part where he's talking about the first drink that made him realize he said, I have arrived. He felt like he had arrived. It I made don't him more, that it part, made him more sociable, made him easier to talk to people and things like that. So it sounds like I had the same type of experience. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. Uh, very it's much. made things easier. Yeah. Yeah. It made me, made me feel comfortable, made me feel like I belonged. And then, but just like beach week, I had too much. I ended up throwing up in this apartment and not remembering really what happened and taking a walk of shame the next day and wondering, God, are these, these guys who have this apartment, are they going to want to beat the crap out of me? Cause I threw up on their furniture or whatever, but walked over there with a buddy and some cleaning supplies. And, uh, you know, it, it's really interesting The I feel like the lesson I learned from that in my head was not like, Oh, wow. Drinking is bad because look at the ramifications the 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 takeaway i had was like drinking is really fun i just need to get better at it like <laughs> you know i need to figure out how to be more be more skillful with this uh and that's definitely how i approached the rest of college i uh i, I honed my skills all the time <laughs> what did you just start drinking more and more um <clears throat> it, I, I wouldn't say necessary i mean yes and no uh i mean as an undergraduate, it was very much, a, it was just a weekend thing. It was just a nighttime thing. Um, you know, I, I probably never drank during the day unless it was like a tailgate for a football game. Um, and you know, it was, it was a couple nights a week on the weekend. Like I said, uh, it, it was much later in life that it became more, more non-traditional or non-stereotypical and much more problematic, but the, the evolution was, was so, was so slow. It's really, you know, I, I like to use the word insidious, like it just changes so gradually and slowly over time. You don't even notice it until certain, you know, certain really meaningful and impactful events happen. So you honed your skills over the years. I did. That's for sure. <laughs> so really a good. Of, uh, a lot of college drinking. I remember I didn't go to college, but this is right around the time most of my friends were in college. Um, I was drinking a lot. And my friend, he had a two-story beer bomb. You know, the, the funnel thing? So <laughs> yeah. he had one that the hose dropped down from the second window. <laughs> and it was a huge funnel. So you filled it up with like five beers and someone went downstairs and you hit the, uh, what do you call it, like the hatch thing and down it went. Yeah, yeah. Nobody ever did it. It just went all over your... You, you <laughs> I mean, you tried your hardest, but it was, it was a, it was a, it was a mess. I'm pretty sure I encountered one of those in that, uh, that beach week experience where like people were up on a balcony and dropping, like you said, dropping the hose down to someone on the street. Yep. Yeah. So um, at what point did you realize you were starting to develop an issue? Was there anything that kind of stands out to you? Um, well, I think it's a different answer. There are things that I can look back on now and realize, oh yeah, that's that's sort of when a problem was happening. The first time I realized it, like in real time, was um, this would have been about about five years ago. Um, yeah, you know, my my drinking had evolved to the point where it really was an everyday thing, um, and it was something that uh, I very often hid from people. Um, uh, or, you know, hid my drinking or lied about how much I had been drinking, that sort of thing. But I, I had a day, um, yeah, I think it would have been five years ago where, yeah, I woke up hungover and, uh, you know, so a little hair of the dog in the morning to, to shake the cobwebs out. 
And uh, I think I took I took some bourbon or something to work with me. And I, I'm a I'm not a coffee drinker. I'm a Coke Zero drinker. Um, went to work and start you know bought some Coke Zero out of the vending machine and and went to the bathroom and doctored it. And uh, so I'm drinking at the morning or at work in the morning. And, you know, as, as soon as I knew uh, a place nearby was open for lunch, I left work and went and grabbed some lunch and had a, you know, I'm sure I had a couple beers with lunch and, and, but that particular day, I just had this like very, very lost feeling like what the hell are you doing kind of feeling. And I can remember, I just, I was actually working at Virginia Tech and I remember just going and, and kind of wandering around campus and just, just not really knowing what to do. Like I wasn't busy at work. I didn't really have to be there. No one was going to notice if I was gone. So I'd kind of wander around a little while and then I'd go back to whatever bar and I'd have a beer and I'd wander around a little more. And, um, I had a, had a volleyball game, um, in like the next town over that evening. So I drove over to the other town. And of course I went to another bar for volleyball and had probably had a couple more beers there. And, uh, went to the volleyball game and, uh, and, and played. And, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't like stumbling drunk or anything, but I certainly didn't play the way I'm able, the way I would have been able to play. And, uh, yeah, so it didn't go well athletically. I remember sitting on the bleachers after the game and one of my best buddies was sitting there with me and he just looked at me and he was like, are you okay, man? I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm fine. I don't, what are you talking about? He was like, no, like, are you okay? Like, yeah, I'm cool. Nothing's wrong. And that that sort of passed. And, uh, um, and, uh, then I I left and like, you know, as soon as I leave, like my first thought is I should probably drink some more. Right. So I stop at a convenience store, you know, five minutes from where we played volleyball and somehow sitting there like I decided what the hell are you doing like you drank all day and now you're gonna drink again while you're driving home what's going on so somehow I managed to not buy that beer and drink more and and I decided when I got home like I was gonna just I was gonna admit it to my wife so I got home and I was like look here's here's how my day went and I related to her what I just related to you and I was just like I I don't I don't know what the hell to do about, I don't know what to do about this, but something's got to change. And, uh, that, that led to the first time that I went to rehab, went to residential treatment. So that was, were you at this point? What's that? How old were you at this point? So that was five years ago. I would have been, uh, I would have been like 45, 46. Oh, so you drank, you had a long career. Oh yeah. (laughs) I was a little bit decades before you go into rehab. What was it? Did you have any, escapades or anything that happened throughout those 20 years that were building up to it you going to rehab like what kind of things what kind of things would you do um I mean I I drove drunk way more than I'd like to admit uh I did get a DUI in my first one I've had multiple the first one I got in 20 uh what 2013 I think um so, but that, you know, that was what, four years before I really admitted I had a problem. And, and that DUI was kind of one that I could write off as, uh, oh, boys will be boys. You know, I, I had been out playing poker with my buddies, had too much, two, two in the morning driving home. I got, I got caught. Um, so it, it wasn't, it wasn't the kind of thing that forced me to admit I had a problem. It was just, oh uh, yeah, sometimes you go out and you drink too much and you dr- make a bad decision to drive and you get caught. Um, it, it wasn't until that, that experience years. And, and I certainly, had, you know, I had multiple experiences of, of drinking too much and blacking out and my wife being mad at whatever I did while I was, was drunk and that sort of thing. But, but it really wasn't until that experience about five years ago that I, that I woke up and said, Holy crap, you, <laughs> you've really got a problem, dude. What kind of things would you do to upset your wife? Uh, you know, it, it mostly would have been things like very passive things. Like I was never, a, I was never a, an angry drunk. You know, I never got in, I'm not a bar fight kind of guy or anything like that. I wouldn't get argumentative. It would be more like, 
you know, maybe we were out somewhere or on vacation <laughs> and like, I might've passed out in public because I had so much to drink. You know, that kind of sort of social embarrassment is what kind of places would you pass out? Um, in a, in a restaurant. I mean, <laughs> Oh, wow. Yeah. That's a big deal. I, I have, I was the brand of drunk that, even my wife, who obviously knew me, knew me better than anyone in the world, she often had no clue how drunk I was, how much I had had to drink. And so I could, I could appear, you know, she obviously knew I was drinking, but I could appear fairly sober and, and literally like pass out at a dinner table <laughs> or at a bar after dinner, that kind of thing. And do you have children? Uh, I have one daughter. I have a 21-year-old daughter, just uh, just graduated from college. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Actually, I was just there. She graduated. She went to Elon University in North Carolina. I was just there oh, cool. and to celebrate that. It was, it was fantastic. Were you doing this uh, dumb stuff in front of her? Yeah. Yeah, I absolutely was. Um, <clears throat> I, I don't think there was... Well... I mean, so much of my drunken life involved, you know, blacking out late at night. I, I can't say for sure what I might have done uh, in front of her, but th there was no particular notable experience with her. I'm, sh you know, she knew that I drank a lot, and she certainly saw me drunk many, many times. Um, but uh, no, no super noteworthy experiences with her, fortunately. So you're drinking for 20 years. You finally realize you uh, have an issue. What do you do about it? So I went to rehab. Um, I, I knew something, something had to change. Something had to change big time. Like it wasn't like, it wasn't a minor tweak to my life. This was, you know, I was, I was drinking all day, every day, basically. Um, so I, for some reason I got it in my mind. Like if I'm going to rehab, like I'm going, going far away. I was living in, in Virginia at the time and I decided, well, I'm just going to go out West. Cause like, I, I want to be totally, totally disconnected and unplugged from this, this life that's not working for me for a while. So we, we found this, uh, this real quick, real quick before we get there, let me ask you one question. What were you doing for a living that you were able to get drunk all day? <laughs> Uh, so I was, I was the business information technology manager in the provost's office at Virginia tech. Um, and it was, it was a newly created, well, that, that's, yeah, it was a newly created position. Um, and there was, I just wasn't that busy, uh, you know, partly because it was a new position and we were kind of trying to figure out really what I was supposed to be doing. And I partly wasn't busy because like I, I'm smart and I'm efficient and, and even drinking, I could get things done. Um, so, you know, I, I, and it was a very independent position. I wasn't like working generally wasn't working in a team of people. Um, I had a, it was a position where I was given a lot of latitude to, to get things done independently when and how I wanted to get them done. So I, it, it was very easy for me to, to drink at work or slip away and have a few beers with lunch or have a few beers in the afternoon or leave early to, to get drunk before my wife would get home, that sort of thing. So you decided to get your shit together and where we where we left off was you were going out west you decided right yeah yeah so we decided i needed to try rehab to turn things around we found this place called recovery ways in salt lake city um and uh yeah so in like would have been like february of 2017 i think i headed out to salt lake city to to try to square things away um that that was the first time i remember i got I got into Salt Lake City like like the middle of the night, like one or two a.m. or something, and uh, you know, of course, I, I drank on my way there. Um, so I, I got there not sober, and 
I remember getting to the place and they showed me in my room and, you know, I sleep or pass out or whatever you want to call it. Um, but I knew there was, there was a meeting at, you know, 8am or whatever that, that next day. And, and I got myself up and I showed up for it. And like the very first thing that was going on was people going around the room saying, you know, I'm Jim, I'm an alcoholic kind of thing. And I was like, Oh shit, am I going to have to say that? <laughs> like, and it came around to me and I was like, I guess I go for it. I said, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm Brian and I'm an alcoholic. And that, that was, yeah, I don't know why that's, it's so hard for me. Yeah. It was hard. I, I, because it was admitting I didn't have my life together and I thought I yeah. did. I was still fighting it. Like, no, I got my shit together. I don't know what everyone's talking about. Yeah. Even though I had gotten to the point where I was willing to fly across the country and pay, um, pay thousands of dollars to go to a, to go to a rehab. Yeah. You're right. That there's something about saying that out loud in mm -hmm. front of people that, that is really hard. I think it's a, for me anyway, it's, it was a mix of like, wow, can I really, you know, I've been a super successful and high achieving person my whole life. Can I really admit that there's something that I have like no control over or limited control over? Plus, I think there's such a, there's such a stigma around that word alcoholic. I think, you know, there's, it's easy to picture that person as a, you know, alcoholic goes with words like degenerate, right. And drunk and very negative sounding words. Like, can I really self is that is that where I am so yeah it was I said it that morning but I don't I don't know that I believed it I was just saying it because I'm the kind of person who wants to fit in with the crowd right that's kind of why I drank I wanted to fit in with the crowd so if everyone here is saying I'm an alcoholic or I'm an addict like I'm going to say that too so what did it feel like so do you think it was a humbling experience also yeah it absolutely was um, saying that specifically and, and rehab in general. Um, although I think humbling was part of it. I think the, the best part of that, that rehab experience for me was figuring out that, Hey, that there are other people who I like and who are successful and who seem to be really good people and really cool people. They're, they're alcoholics too. Like this is not, the, the the negative stigma that's associated with it like it's not really true these are people who are struggling in particular ways and, and what was super eye-opening for me was you know this was not a rehab just for people with with issues with alcohol it was any sort of addiction and there were there were several uh heroin addicts there who I met and I just like to me like drinking was one thing right drinking's is drinking's legal and it's socially acceptable and even yeah and glorified but like to me something like heroin like that was a totally different ball game but but here I met these people who who had been shooting that stuff in their veins and I was like oh my god these are these are cool and smart and respectable people that I really really like like wow this really can happen to, to anybody when I got to rehab these people were some of the most intelligent people I had spoken to in a while like we had very deep in-depth conversations about anything from addiction to philosophy. You know what I mean? There were so many different people from different backgrounds with different levels of education. And it showed you you affect anyone. I remember um, a professional baseball player was with us. I didn't yeah. know. I don't, I don't follow sports, but someone came up to me like, you know, that's one of the blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to say, but um, right. he, said he, he plays professional baseball. And I remember the first night he came in, he was covered in piss. He peed himself. He was hammered. He was messed up on whatever else he was taking. Yeah. And just to see yourself like this guy's technically living the dream because most people who want to be a pro baseball player, that's their dream. Yeah, and absolutely. He got there. He got there. He's playing his dream. And it still wasn't enough to fill that void that we call addiction. You know what I mean? Yeah. Absolutely. I found that to be, I said to myself after that, I'm like, it could happen to anybody. I don't know why that hit me, but it did. Just because that guy was literally, quote unquote, living his dream. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's uh, it it is something that doesn't doesn't discriminate at all. Doesn't matter how uh, educated you are, how wealthy you are, what your race is, what your sexuality is. You know, it it can grab anyone and everyone. Yeah. So 
how was your rehab experience overall? That, that experience was good. I think in retrospect, while I knew that I had a problem and things had to change, I never bought into quitting drinking. I think, I think I went through the experience with a mindset of like, okay, I'm a smart guy. If I just learn about this and if I just can better understand why I'm doing the things I'm doing, like I I can, I can learn my way out of it. Right. I can get smart about it and I can, I can come out of this as someone who will be able to, to, to be a a normal drinker, you know, who can manage and moderate it. And um, so I, I didn't, I didn't drink for a while. I don't remember the details after, after that experience, I I was in rehab for about 30 days, I think. Um, And I didn't drink for a while, but, but I sort of always had it in the back of my head. Like I I will go back. Like I never said it out loud probably until I think I was on my wife and I were on a vacation and we were gonna, um, we were going to be going out to dinner with some people. And I knew like that was going to be uncomfortable for me for every, I knew everyone else was going to be drinking beer and it was going to be uncomfortable for me. So I had a talk with her. I was like, look, I'm, I'm probably going to order a beer. Um, if, if that's not going to freak you out. And, uh, she was cool with it. And yeah, so, so I had probably a couple beers with, with dinner that night and, and that was all I had. And, and I did really manage and moderate my drinking for a while, but, um, as I'm sure you've heard in many people's stories that that worked until it didn't right like eventually I I slid right back into the old habits and got back into a it's every day and maybe all day kind of thing so did you have to go back to rehab I did so I got my second DUI in uh let's see it would have been 2019 so so a couple years later a couple years after that first rehab experience. I got another, another DUI and obviously the, the consequences are, are greatly upped for the, for the second one. Um, and yeah, I decided, all right, it's, I, I don't remember exactly when or why or how I decided to, to go back to rehab, but, but that happened, uh, you know, I think I got the DUI in maybe February of 2019 and I ended up it took a couple months to make the decision that, yeah, I'm going to try rehab again. Cause I think for a while I was like, shit, I been there, done that. I tried rehab and clearly it doesn't work. Why, why would I go back again? Um, but, but eventually, yeah, I think my drinking had spiraled out of control yet again to a point where I was like, okay, I think I, I don't know any other answer, but to go somewhere where I won't be able to drink. Um, and let's, I think I got to the point where I really did start to think like this, this is killing me. Like it's either, it's either going to kill me because I'm going to go out and drink and drive and have a terrible accident, or it's going to kill me slowly by, you know, destroying my liver or my brain or whatever. So ended up uh, in rehab in would have been like late April of 2019. How'd you do the second time around? Were you taking it more seriously? Yeah, I, I took it very much uh, much more seriously. Um, I definitely, I did have that attitude that like, okay, this, this is actually killing me now. This is not just something that's, that needs to be managed. This is something that's, that's literally life-threatening. Um, and it, it was interesting. I actually ended up going to two different treatment facilities. Uh, I was working with a therapist at the time and she, this, this again was still in Virginia she had recommended a place that it was local, uh, you know, literally only like a 20, 30 minute drive away. And she kind of said, you know, if, if someone in my family, someone I really cared about were in this position, that's where I'd tell them to go. So I was like, all right, that's, that's the best endorsement I can get, I guess. So I'll go there. Um, and I, I went to this place and, and I hated it. Um, it was, it was super institutional, um, there were probably, probably, I think there were about 55, 60, um, residents, clients there, the overwhelming majority of them were 25 years old or younger. You know, at this point I would have been 
what I would have been like 47 or so, 48. Um, so these were people half my age. Um, most of them had, you know, most of them had drug problems, not drinking issues and, and addiction is addiction, but like, there just, there were not people I could relate to there. Right. Like I, I'm a, I'm a professional, um, 48 year old with a drinking problem who's married and has a kid. And like, I don't relate to a 20 year old who's got, uh, an issue with oxy or whatever, you know, we're, we're just at such different places. And, and, uh, plus the very, just the, the, the treatment center I'd gone to before was much smaller. And there was sort of, there was a wing of younger people and a wing of older people. And we didn't really mix very much. Um, it had a much less institutional feel. I, I just, I knew like from day one, this place, like this is not going to work. So I actually, you know, it, and it was a place that was super, super restricted as far as contacting the outside world, you know, every other day or something, we got 10 minutes of phone time or whatever. So the first time I could get on the phone, I, I remember calling my wife and I was just bawling. I was like, I, you, you've got to find me a different place. Like this is not, this is not for me. This is not going to work. And, uh, you know, I didn't get to talk to her for, for several more days and I didn't really know how she had taken our short conversation. And I, I kind of had coached myself up to like, okay, this is where you are. Like, you don't think it's going to work. You don't like it, but Hey, buck up and, and make the best of it. So I'd sort of coached myself up that way. And, and I got up one morning and went to our first meeting or whatever. And my, my therapist pulled me aside and said, Hey, I, I need to talk to you. We went to her office and she was like, so I hear you're going to Silver Ridge. And I was like, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> she was like, yeah, I've, I've been talking to your wife and she's arranged this transfer to a different rehab in, in North Carolina. And I was like, okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, unbeknownst to me, my, my wife had, had gotten, uh, in touch with one of her good friends who actually sort of works in the, not, not sort of does, does work in the mental health and addiction industry, so to speak. And she went to her friend and said, Hey, Brian needs a better place. Help me find a better place. And, and she did. And I went to this place called Silver Ridge, Silver Ridge Recovery in Asheville, uh, North Carolina. And it was, it was 180 degrees from where I had been. And it was, uh, it was a fantastic and, and transformational experience for me. It was really fantastic. So this is the one that worked for you. <clears throat> what was different about yes it? Yes and no. Yes and no. Okay. <laughs> Let's get into that. Yeah. It, it, it worked in a very big way. It, it truly was a transformational experience. Um, I had... I, I learned so much more there than I had in, in rehab before. And, um, and, uh, you know, coming out of that, like, I actually, I decided close to the end of my time there that, that I wanted to, I wanted to share my story and I wanted to be of service to others who, who suffered. And so I decided I had written, I'd written some poetry while I was there. And, um, I had shared some early on with, with a few of, of the people I was close with and they really liked it. And they kind of encouraged me to share it with everyone. And uh, I write these poems and I'd share them when people would be like, Oh my God, I need a copy of that. I want that. And um, so by the end of rehab, I had written this whole series of poems and I was like, I think I could turn these poems into a book. If I like, like they kind of tell a story on their own, but I could make each one a chapter and it could lead off with a poem. And then I could write a chapter about what that poem was about and, and then so on. So I wrote, I wrote and published this book. Um, oh, awesome. Called Unabashed. Lift, uh, lift it up a little more. Yeah. So there you go. Um, yeah. Totally plugged that. <laughs> yeah. um, Where's it available? Uh, it's on Amazon. Amazon. Yeah, I self self published it through Amazon, so it's available there. We're uh, going to talk about that after because I I've written a book book and I'm just deciding on how to publish it. So definitely gonna pick your yeah, brain cool. after this. Awesome, um, but yeah, so so I, I wrote that book 
And, uh, you know, I was, I was so, so much more committed to, to recovery and sobriety. And, uh, and, and I, you know, I had at that point the best, the best times of my life for a while, but again, at some point, uh, it would have been, well, I, I sort of experimented. I drank a couple times. So I was in rehab, like what, April, May, and I actually did IOP at the same facility for, for several weeks, for like three weeks afterwards. So my whole, I was residential for like 40 some days and then IOP for like three weeks. Um, and for several months after that, I was sober and everything was great. But like by November, I was like, yeah, might be nice to try some beer tonight you know, on my own somewhere. And I did that. And I actually didn't like it was a couple times I did that and it was just like a one night thing. It didn't turn into anything more. Uh, and I made it through the holidays and like, I didn't drink at all through the holidays. And, but by the time, like really right as the book got published, I published the book in March of 2020, like right when, right when the pandemic really started to hit. Um, at that point I, I started slipping back into it, started sneaking alcohol at, at every opportunity and it, it spiraled right out of control again. So how long did this next binge go on for? Uh, it wasn't really a binge because I had to, I had to keep it a secret. Like no, no one knew I was drinking. I was just, uh, the nature of my life at the time was I, I was able to sneak it fairly often and hide it effectively. Um, and then, then it, it blew up in kind of the most epic way possible. Um, so I, uh, I'm a car guy and I had actually over this prior few years, I had built my own car. So I built this, uh, called factory five roadster. It's a replica of a sixties Shelby Cobra. And, uh, I had built this car and I decided like it would be epic if I drove this car across country and uh, planned out a route and uh, was going to drive the car the whole way to the West coast from Virginia and the whole way back. And uh, I made it like I made it to Minnesota and got a DUI. Oh shit. So third DUI and that, that just, that shit hit the fan hard and, and completely blew up my life again. So what happened this time around? <clears throat> so that pretty immediately and directly ended my marriage. Um, I think at that point, my wife was like, that's, that's, that's the last straw. Like I've stuck with you through all this. Like, she, you know, she didn't know I had been drinking at all. And here I got drunk halfway across the country uh, on this epic journey of mine. Um, so, she, you know, she basically said, <clears throat> I don't think I can ever trust you again. And I certainly in my mind was like, yeah, even if you said that you trusted me, I don't think I'd believe you at this point. Like it, it's, it can't work. So, um, and, it, you know, and it was the third DUI and it was unclear exactly what the ramifications of that were going to be because it happened out of state. Like, was it going to follow me back to Virginia? And if it did, how were the penalties going to work? Like, am I going to go to jail? Am I going to go to jail in Minnesota? Am I going to go to jail in Virginia? Am I going to lose my license? That sort of stuff, you know, plus the the divorce happening and all that unraveling so that that just that that sent me into a binge um because i just you know i i didn't know what to do other than try to drink it away which obviously doesn't work but i sure as hell tried real hard to drink it away for for weeks <laughs> so where are you out where are you where are you at nowadays uh nowadays uh, I'm great. Like I am, uh, there's a whole lot of story still in between there. Um, the, uh, you know, everyone likes to talk about their, their rock bottom and I feel like I've had a few, but you know, obviously I'm in Idaho now. So all that stuff happened when I was living in Virginia, I, I decided at some point to, to move out West and get a fresh start. I actually moved to Eugene, Oregon first. Um, 
and then I ended up for for a job moving here to Boise. Um, but that whole experience was was a blow up of a binge, massive binge relapse that actually ended up with me in the hospital. Um, I binged for like a month round the clock. You know, I was only ever passed out or drinking. That was that was my life. And uh, so much so that the job that I moved here for, I never even showed up for. Um, and, but I did manage to quit one day. God knows how or why, but, but I managed to say, all right, this is the last one. 24 hours later, um, I went out first thing in the morning to walk my dog. And uh, a couple blocks from here in a little park, uh, I apparently had a seizure in withdrawal. And uh, fortunately, someone saw that happen and, and called 911. And, and I ended up with a long weekend in the hospital, detoxing and recovering from that experience. And that, that was the true, the true bottom for me. And that, that turned things around. That, so that would have been early September of last year of 2021. And recovery since then has been, has been fantastic. It's best best period of my life since then. That's great. So you're, you're nice and clean nowadays for how long? Um, that's, I'm going to say long enough um, because th- this is something I've been thinking about a lot lately. Uh, I mean, I've been, I haven't been perfect since, uh, since September, which is eight or nine months or whatever. Now uh, I've really decided I'm going to stop keeping score. Um, I think it's, it's an unhealthy thing for me, um, because it's, a it's a game I can't win, right? The only way I win the sobriety, the, the forever sobriety game is to die, right? <laughs> like if, if, if my outlook is I have to stay a hundred percent clean and I'm going to count every day, um, I think it just sets me up for feeling like a failure if I ever slip. So I, I, I and I, I'm glad that people do proudly proclaim their hundred days, 2000 days, two days, whatever it is. I don't mean to say no one should say that, but it doesn't work for me. And I see too many people who it leads to such shame and dejection when they can't live up to that perfect, um, that perfect measuring stick that, that I've decided I'm just, I'm just not going to play that game. Um, so, um, you know, the last year I've been as sober as I've been in 30 years and it's fantastic, but I'm not gonna, you know, how exactly how the days work out. That's, that's my business. Yeah, absolutely. And everyone's recovery is different. I mean, for me, I really, I, I don't know how many days I know I'm over two years. You know what nice. I mean? Like, so I'm kind of like you. Because I find some people, I know, I'm hoping I never do this, but they get to a long enough period where they go, like you said, oh, maybe just one. I've been sober X amount of days. Right. Versus I don't know how long I've been sober. I'm just going to keep it up and I'm not going to drink. I do plan on never, never drinking again. I'm. My goal is never to, it's not to say, okay, now I'm under control and I can drink control because it ain't going to work that way for me. That's just, but everyone's recovery is different. Yeah, I guess the way that the way that I look at it is I'm I'm very much against absolutes like that. Like I I don't think ever set a goal of I'm never going to drink again because to me that's just like I said the only the only way I achieve that goal is to die. That's the only way I achieve never drinking again. Um, and, And I don't mean to say to to belittle that as a goal for you or for anyone it's fine like you said everyone's journey is different but but for me like the focus is more like I just want to live a healthy life and and, um as long as as long as I'm living healthy um if if a beer happens in there it happens and, and I'll move on and and I don't I don't plan to drink I don't want to drink. I know it's not good for me. I've seen in spades what it, what it does to my life. So I'm not of the mindset that I want to get back to being quote, a normal drink or anything, but I'm also not gonna, I'm not gonna beat myself up if it, if it happens. Um, My my goal is to live a, 
a happy, healthy life in recovery. And uh, I've started a nonprofit that that's alcoholism oriented, and I want to help other people avoid the experiences that I've had. And and that's that's my path forward. I'm gonna enjoy the journey without a particular, without a specific goal like that. I guess. Awesome, and I wish you the best as as long as you're happy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's as long as you're happy because. We only got this one life, so why not be as happy as possible? And like you said, if that if it's tough, I mean, it's up to you what you feel about it, but if beer happens in there, at least you don't feel, like you said, absolutely depressed and dejected, you know? Yeah, and I think that the other element that's been interesting for me is like, and I'm, you know, I'm involved in all sorts of sobriety-oriented communities, and, and there's also you know, a discussion, particularly, I think, for people who have have had issues with alcohol, there's there's always discussion of, well, what about other substances? Like, is it okay for me to to smoke pot or to take Delta 8 or whatever or something like that? And it like, is that, if I do that, am I sober? And that, that's another reason where I, like, I just don't want to play the scoreboard because then you get wrapped up in, okay, what exactly yeah. are the rules of sobriety? And, and it becomes a very, like, binary all or nothing game like you're either you're either sober or abstinent or you're not and like well yeah no i mean i consider when it comes to delta eight marijuana stuff like that there's nothing wrong with it as long as you're using it medicinally because i i also am bipolar so i take drugs given to me by a doctor right you know know what i mean and i have to take those so if that's something part of your medicinal regimen then so be it you know what i mean as long as you're doing it the correct way because you can abuse anything your doctor gives you. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. You know, you yeah, I mean, I, I actually had a, I had a hip replacement two months ago and I was prescribed uh, oxy something or other for that. I mean, fortunately, I was never in the kind of pain that I felt like I needed to take it. I never took any of it. But, um, yeah, you know, obviously that's there's tons of danger in taking something like that. But. I would, you know, I was going to take it as prescribed if I felt I had to take it. And I think there are some people out there who would say, oh, no, you can't, you can't do that. If you're in recovery, you can't take any chemical substance that would, that would alter you mentally. And well, no, I think there, there is a responsible way to do that. That's healthy and okay. Uh, even though yeah, I, I just, I just say to those people, talk to my doctor. You know what I mean? Like the doctor, <laughs> he's the one who went to school for 10 years. He's the one making those type of decisions when it comes to my overall health mentally and physically. So I'm going to leave that up to my doctor, not to some old timer. Yeah. But yeah. uh, Did you have anything else you want to talk about? I think this is a great place to wrap up. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I think that the other thing I'll, I'll plug apart from my book is um, I, I think I mentioned that I've started this nonprofit. It's called alcohol. Isn't. So take alcoholism and, and change the end of it to from ism to isn't. Um, so I've started that and and it's the, the primary goal there is to really would like to help people avoid a lot of the suffering that I've experienced. So, you know, in, in my journey through through all these, through the DUIs and through the various therapists that I've worked with and through the the residential treatment facilities that I've gone to, like, I've been so, so fortunate that every step there along the way, finances were not really a concern for me. Like, I, I could say, yeah, I'm going to go to rehab for 30, 40 days or whatever, and I can afford it. And I can afford to be not working during that time. And it was never like a hard, oh, God, can we actually do that financially? Um, and obviously, that's far from the case for the great majority of people, right? You know, you, you look at going to rehab and even if insurance covers it, you might have a high deductible plan and it's going to cost you five grand out of pocket or whatever. And that's, you know, in addition to being out of work for weeks, that that's a tough nut to crack. So the, the crux of the mission of alcohol isn't, is, um, is to provide financial support for folks in that position. So I am working on partnering with addiction treatment providers, and that that could be therapists, individual therapists, that could be residential treatment facilities, that could be organizations that do IOP type programs. But the idea would be if uh, 
if Jane Q Public is is considering going to rehab and she gets in the admissions process with one of my partners and they get to the point where they check insurance and they say, okay, Jane, your insurance is going to cover this, but we need, you know, your your deductible is five grand and we need that out of your pocket here up front. And she says, oh my God, I need help, but I can't do five grand. Um, that partner of mine can say, hey, we work with this organization called Alcoholism. They provide financial help for people who need quality treatment, let me connect you with, with them. And we might be able to cover say half of that. So she owes 5,000. We can come up with 2,500. She comes up with her 2,500 and she, that, that's super difficult financial decision to get quality treatment when you're really, really struggling is made easier. And, uh, and hopefully we help, we help change some lives that way. So alcoholism.org is the site and, uh, Alcohol isn't is on all the well, not not all. We're not. I'm not on TikTok, but uh, alcohol isn't is on Twitter and on Instagram, and there's a Facebook page. So if anyone is is interested in uh, what that's all about, or interested in in helping out with the donation, that's 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 my primary gig right now. I do a little bit of consulting on the side to pay the rent as well, because right now alcohol isn't is brand new. I just started it a few months ago, so it doesn't pay me anything, but it's it's a passion and it's my commitment to, to serve others and, and help uh, hopefully help people avoid the kind of suffering that I've been through in my life. Awesome. That's really awesome. I'm going to definitely pick your brain after this real quick. I have one more question and then I want you to plug your book again. My last question that I ask everybody is, do you have any advice for people watching or listening? Oh, I, we could go on for another hour with my advice, I think. Um, I think my primary advice, the reason my my current period of recovery has been so wonderful and so successful, I, you know, pe- people have asked me, I, I'm very open about, about what I've been through. Obviously, I wrote a book about it, so I'm, I'm pretty transparent. But, um, you know, a lot of people have asked me in recent months, like, why is it different now? Like, how, how do I know you're not going to slip right back to where you've slipped back to multiple times in your past? And, and when I really think about it, I think this time, uh, you know, I, I'm doing it the way I believe in. I think different, various phases of my recovery over the past several years, <clears throat> a lot of what I've done, I've done because I thought someone else expected me to do it. Like, I would go to meetings, whether they were AA meetings or refuge recovery meetings or recovery Dharma meetings. A lot of times I'd go just because I knew that someone was going to ask me, what have you been doing? And I wanted to be able to say, well, I've, I went to AA the other day, or I went to recovery Dharma the other day. Um, and I go to recovery Dharma now. There's a, there's a great group here in Boise, but I go because I really, I legitimately love that group. And I, and I love the message of recovery Dharma and, and it's really valuable for me to, to spend that time with those people. I'm not doing it to be able to tell you that I go to recovery Dharma or tell my daughter that I go to recovery Dharma. I go because it's good for me. Um, I would encourage everyone to also work with a therapist, uh, even when you're feeling super healthy. Um, that, that's another thing I, I chose to do sort of unconventionally. Like I, I work with a therapist who has no addiction experience because addiction while it's super super been super super problematic in my life right it's it's led to jail time and it's led to hospital time and it's led to divorce and it's done all these all these super terrible and rough things but like that's never addiction often i think almost always is a symptom right there there are other things that are problematic in your life for me it's it's often issues of of self-worth and self-confidence and and beating myself up over how I should have done things better or should have done more. Um, and in my past, like drinking was my way to cope with that, right? Any uncomfortable feelings, you know, okay. If I'm feeling uncomfortable, if I'm stressed out, if I'm mad, if I'm sad, I know I can get rid of that with alcohol, right? I can numb it away. Um, so I think the key for me in mental health is working with those issues of self-esteem and self-worth so that I never feel like I have to escape it, right? Finding other coping methods. Addiction is just a symptom. So I want to get rid of the root cause problem so that I never have the symptom again. Um, so I encourage anyone to, 
to work with a therapist. And I'm not suggesting that everyone go find someone who's not addiction oriented. Certainly there are, there are fantastic addiction oriented therapists who are totally great and appropriate for, for everyone, but, but find the right one. Um, there are good ones and bad ones. And the one that's good for me might not be good for you. Um, and it's, it's super hard to find that great relationship, but, but put some work in to find that relationship would be, would be my advice. Um, and and do something of service. You know, obviously not everyone's going to write a book and not everyone's going to run a nonprofit, but I think committing yourself to some sort of service um, is important. You know, in AA, you know, they always say, well, just, you know, just set up the chairs or make coffee, you know, even if it's just that, like giving back to the recovery community in, in whatever way you can, I think is important. Um, and relationships are important. Um, I had a therapist when I was living in Eugene who was fond of saying that connection is the opposite of addiction. Um, and if I look back at the best periods of sobriety that I've had, one constant theme there is I had really good relationships going on in my life. Like I was well connected with my best friends. Um, I had a recovery fellowship of some sort that I was well connected with. I had a, maybe a romantic relationship that, that was very positive in my life. Like being connected with other humans is super important. This sort of is almost a, um, an immunization against addiction, I think. So, so that's, that's the advice that I would give. That's great advice. Really appreciate you coming on today. I think this has been a great interview. Yeah. Thank, thanks for having me, Jim. I really appreciate the time. All right. Yes. So for everybody that's watching and listening, if you like what you heard and saw, go below and give us a like. Also subscribe to our channel. You can also find us on Twitter, uh, Reddit, Instagram, Patreon, which is a free account there. You're going to have a lot of content uploaded. And I suggest going under the events tab and you'll see that every night we do a, a nightly Zoom meeting and you'll find all the sign in information there. So that's all I have for today. And until next time.